0: You're listening to Fresh Ideas for Teaching. Hi, everyone. This is Walter. The Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast is presented by Savvas Learning Company. Today, I'm here with my colleague, Catherine Teal, who's manager on the MyView Literacy Solution for grades K through 5. Catherine, who's our special guest today?
1: Well, joining us today for her return visit is Karen Miller. Karen is a former elementary and secondary teacher, professional development specialist, and most currently a national literacy specialist with Savvas Learning. Like so many of us, she's spending a lot of her time in the land of video conferencing, video teaching, and talked last time about it being a challenge, but a good challenge. Karen, what do you think? Is it still a challenge?
0: Well, (laughs) I would say, yeah, it's still a challenge, but a good challenge uh, for myself. And I think so many educators out there, we're actually starting to get just a little bit better. It's probably all those Zoom happy hours with friends and family that's probably helping just a bit. We're getting comfortable with setting up distance learning. We're problem solving when the tech just doesn't go the way we anticipate. We're trying new collaboration tools, apps, engagement tools. I'm even seeing teachers doing virtual breakout rooms and so much more. Now, whether it's delivering a lesson to our students, or maybe training our colleagues, or maybe holding a parent-teacher conference, or even participating in staff meetings, that virtual
1: space is getting a little less daunting. So we're getting more comfortable with it all. But when you and I were talking about what should we name this podcast today, we decided on, is anyone really out there? Yeah, well,
0: because even though the logistics and the tech are getting familiar, we just can't control an individual's attentiveness or engagement. I mean, that's hard enough to plan for in a physical face-to-face environment, but now that we aren't able to see our students' reactions and their body language, we're left wondering. Now, let's see if our listeners can relate. You're now about 20 minutes into your virtual lesson, department meeting, or maybe a staff meeting, right? You've spent so much time planning your content, your visuals, and even practiced your delivery. It's interesting and relevant to you. And now, 20 minutes in, You begin wondering, am I talking to myself? Are my learners or colleagues actually paying attention? One by one, those video cams go dark. You're perplexed. The information you're sharing seems highly interesting. So you ask a question. It's not a hard question. Let's say maybe it's DOK level one or two basic comprehension, and you wait. Silence. You continue to wait. More silence. And teachers, (laughs) practicing our wait time in a virtual setting is even more agonizing than in a physical space, right? So you fill in some of the gaps and offer some prompting, still more silence until finally someone chats in. Can you repeat the question? Which leads you to wonder, is anyone
1: really out there? No, I I completely relate to that and feel your pain. Sometimes it does feel like you're talking to yourself.
0: Right. I mean, I was talking with some of my teacher colleagues just last week and they were sharing, wow, they're so confident with setting up meetings, sharing their screen, doing breakouts, they're on video, they're even using document cameras. And yet, as we talk more, we all shared the same concern. So we've got all these cool tools, but what impact are we making? Are our learners like really learning? How do we
1: even know if they're engaged? Yeah. You know, when I first started working remotely, the it was such a huge transition. You know, I'm doing meetings over webcams now versus being in a physical space. It's just something you you have to take time and get used to. For us teachers out there who are accustomed to being close to our students and our colleagues, that shift to remote learning, working can be really challenging. I have three kids of my own. I have a 11-year-old and twin 8-year-olds who all completed online learning in the spring. And it was really interesting to see how they dealt with lots of information or when they got confused. You know, in a, in a physical classroom when you're a teacher and you see that students are starting to shut down mentally, it's easy to intervene, even if it just means, you know, doing a drive by by their desk Well, you don't miss a beat in your lesson. Uh, But in a virtual space, you're not able to do that. And kids can stay super passive when their brains get tired or disinterested. And their teachers weren't about, and I I completely understood, but they weren't about to start calling out kids who weren't looking at their webcams because that is super distracting and disruptive to the lesson. So my personal kids, I could see when their minds would just start drifting off and they'd, they'd start looking at distractions in her house because that was easier for their, their brain to take in. So you'd be like, hmm, should I pet the dog now? Or there was a time that I walked in on my 11-year-old, his his name's Carter, and he was in the middle of an online lesson and had decided to bust out the Monopoly board game and was like playing three different characters. <laughs> not paying attention at all at that point, just because he had gotten pretty overwhelmed.
0: It is so resourceful. I love Monopoly. (laughs) You know, when you think about what your son's brain is actually communicating, it's this. It's saying, I'm overwhelmed. There's too much new information. Let's focus on something I know. The brain doesn't really like to be confused. So it returns to something that's familiar, something that feels good or something we've done before, like playing Monopoly. You know, it's a familiar task and, and one that can be accomplished. He's done it before. He had that feel good experience when he completed the game and the brain remembers what it knows and what feels good. And that, my friend, is why you're probably spending next weekend playing Monopoly with your family.
1: Yeah, for sure. Monopoly and just all these board games are constant for us now, (laughs) Um, but it makes our brains feel good. We're not overwhelmed at all. Yeah. And for Carter, in that moment,
0: in that lesson where he might've been feeling overwhelmed or there was too much information, what he needed at that point was just a moment to be re-energized. And instead of a controlled interaction, Kind of took his own path and probably missed
1: out on the next 10 or 15 minutes of the lesson. Am I right? Oh, for sure. And that's when he hopes that the teacher's gonna send out notes afterwards. <laughs> so that's why at the end of the last podcast, you had us drawing triangles with one hand and circles with the other. You know, so it's like planned interaction to re-energize us. And I have to admit, I couldn't do it when you first told us how to. I was pretty goofy over here. And it got me laughing. But since then, you know, I've had some pretty long meetings. So I've, I've been practicing. And? Well, I'm, I'm getting better at it. And now I know it's about my brain. <laughs> it really is. I'm glad to hear you're getting better. It's really brain-based learning 101.
0: So let's go back to elementary school, what we learned. The brain is part of the nervous system, right? We all learned that. But it's also a muscle. So just like your biceps, your triceps, your quads, the brain really needs to exercise to stay really fit and healthy. And just like in a good workout, we're exercising many parts of the body, right? Your workout, consider your workout as your lesson. You're teaching a concept and your learner's brains are taking it all in. So when you use your left hand to draw a circle in the air, and you use your right hand to draw a triangle, at the same time, we're exercising our brains, many parts of our brains. And these are the parts that, let's think about it, in reality, they tend to not be stimulated in a typical virtual lesson, a meeting or a training where information is kind of shared passively. So by doing a simple exercise, we're kind of resetting our brain. And for those of us that have wandering minds like myself, we're focusing on something different. Really giving our brain a chance to kind of recharge and get ready to absorb new information and more information.
1: Right. So if we as adults get overwhelmed with all this new information and our minds wander, I know mine does sometimes, I think back to my kids and I can only imagine how it is for students in in class. So So tell me, how often do you think teachers should be drawing circles and triangles with their kids? (laughs) That's
0: a great question.
1: You you know,
0: when delivering our virtual lessons, we all want to make an impact. Impact that leads to lasting results. And active engagement is absolutely key. These brain re-energizers are just one of the many ways to offset disengagement. I mean, teachers can Google or Pinterest and they'll get some really creative ideas. I recommend creating your own toolkit, your own toolkit to engage, to think about how you're processing learning, to recharge your learners. Now, some activities are shorter than others. And since we're about 10 minutes into our podcast, I think it's time to change things up a bit.
1: Okay, so Karen's going to lead us through an exercise here to re-energize our brains. For our listeners who are driving, keep your hands on the wheel. You can try it later.
0: (laughs) Good point. So I want you to start by shrugging your shoulders, just up and down. Kind of keep shrugging those shoulders. Now slow down just a little bit and roll the shoulders. Keep rolling. Okay, your brain is now focusing on the physical movement. Let's focus on that. It's not trying to interpret visuals or listen for new information or connect new information to old. It's just concentrating, concentrating on that muscle movement. Now, let's add another movement. Continue rolling those shoulders and at the same time, nod your head up and down. Nod as if you're saying yes.
1: Rolling and nodding. How's it going, Catherine? Yeah, all I can say is I'm glad I'm not on video. <laughs> oh, shoot. That's,
0: that's the fun of it. When you're on video doing those exercises and seeing others like your students, it's bringing joy and smiles, emotion, yet another way to stimulate the brain. So seeing our students on video as they're doing these exercises kind of gets them laughing. Yeah, I think I've got it now. I've got that rhythm going. Good. Okay, now keep rolling. And now instead of nodding up and down, turn your head side to side as if you're communicating No,
1: Roll those shoulders and turn your head. Oh my goodness, this one's hard. I can say, I'd make my mom proud right now. All the money she spent on dance lessons, I think I've got it. (laughs) It's a little more difficult. We're
0: changing things up. The brain's not expecting it, right? I so wish I could see this. Listeners, I hope you're playing along. Pay attention to what's happening to you personally. Until now, you were listening, just one sense. We added physical movement to that listening. Now, the brain didn't expect that. And we're asking you to do movements simultaneously. Now, the brain really, really didn't expect that. Our brains are programmed for novelty. I'm going to repeat that. Our brains are programmed for novelty. Novelty makes us happy. Brain research has shown that that rush of dopamine accompanies fresh experiences of any kind. So learning, whether it's academic, job-related, or otherwise, continues to depend on novelty. New experiences and new information will stimulate the memory, the memory centers of the brain, which are so closely related to what makes us happy.
1: That was fun. I can see how those physical movements and the novelty of them can really recharge you and make our learners refocus. I've heard teachers refer to these moments as brain breaks before. Is that the term we should use? You
0: know, I've heard that too. Um,
1: I try to avoid
0: calling them breaks, and here's why. Because we're learning. The brain shouldn't really be taking a break. Re-energizers are more true to what's happening in our brain and our
1: bodies. So we're kind of re-energizing, we're resetting, we're getting our brain ready to learn more. So, how often do you think we should re-energize and do these activities with our students? And is it always going to be some kind of physical movement? Mm-hmm. So let's go let's go to attention for a second. it's It's
0: really, really complex. And in a virtual setting where you aren't face to face seeing those reactions and interactions, it's even more complex. The human brain is running on ninety to one hundred and twenty cycles. We call them ultradian rhythms. And, and that influences attention, interest, cognition, memory, and, and more. So we need to plan for ways to reignite passive learning. I like shorter chunks with younger students. Maybe five to eight minutes seem to work with my elementary students. I go 10 to 12 with my middle school and high school, but I'm always adjusting based on what I'm observing, um, what I'm hearing from my students the complexity of the material, and and even my ultimate learning goals. And these charging moments don't have to be exercises. So for teachers leading synchronous learning experience, think about what you can do. They can be polls. They can be chats. They can be status checks. I've seen teachers using Zoom whiteboard to have middle school students draw a visual representation of conflict. That's a re-energizer. I've seen elementary students holding up paper plates with emoticons to signal how are they feeling about photosynthesis. That's novelty. I've even heard high school teachers using music to signal to students, got about a 20 second virtual dance party between equations. Our brains are wired for novelty
1: and switching things up to kind of re-energize us gives us a chance to learn more. Okay, so it's my turn now. I've got one for you. You ready? I'm ready. All right. With each hand, make a fist. Okay. So take your right hand and I want you to point forward. Maybe it's at a screen or whatever's in front of you. Just point forward with your index finger and then return to a fist until you get a rhythm going.
0: All right. This is good. I like it. Fist and point, fist and point. But I have a sneaky suspicion you're going to add something else to this.
1: Of course. So you've got that fist and point going with your right hand. With your left hand, start putting a thumbs up. Do it at the same time that you're pointing. So you keep that rhythm going. How's it going for you? It's a little more challenging, but I'm with you. <laughs> All right. So now on the count of three, I want you to switch. So your left hand's going to point and your right hand will be doing the thumbs up. Ready? One, two, three. Were you able to
0: keep doing it? (laughs) I can't get it. Okay, the thumb is the right hand, right? Right. Uh, Okay, that's a little hard. (laughs) I love it, I love it. I I think I've got it though. You know, let's let's give it a name. Maybe we call it the fist. One of the things I tell teachers is that giving names to these re-energizers will help identify them. And as your options expand and students get confident, you can ask a student to lead a re energizer. So, Catherine, your re energizer, the fist, I might have you lead it, or I might have Walter lead it. It doesn't have to be you taking the lead all the time. You could even have students come up with their own. Now, big caution on this just make sure they've modeled and practiced with you first to ensure you aren't getting some ultra complicated activity. We want to challenge the brain while not discouraging the learner.
1: Such great information. Thanks so much, Karen. This has been amazing. Are there any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with?
0: It has been fun. And thank you for playing along. I I think what's important to remember is this. Teachers, we're getting better and better in this virtual world. But we can't forget about those sound instructional practices. Chunk your content. Keep putting it in those manageable, digestible chunks and then plan, plan for those frequent moments that create novelty, something new that draws uh, in new or, or different senses. And just like us, don't be afraid to be silly. Novelty is something all of our brains have in common. And being silly is something we can attach learning to.
1: Thank you again. That is it for the day. Thanks so much to our listeners for joining us. We hope you continue tuning in as we continue talking and sharing ideas with some phenomenal teachers. Take care, stay safe, and happy teaching.
0: Many thanks to both Catherine Teal and Karen Miller for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast. Also, check out our free on-demand summer webinar series to hear from today's educational leaders at a time and place that works with your summer plans. Until next time. This podcast is presented by Savas Learning Company, a next generation learning company providing award-winning solutions for grades pre-K through 12. Visit Savas.com today. Learn with us.